everyone. Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is a sample of a two-hour episode you can only hear on our Patreon. We talked to our two Russian friends, both of whom were born in the Soviet Union, Evgenia Kovda, an artist and filmmaker born and raised in Moscow before moving to the U.S., and Yasha Levine, journalist and author of Surveillance Valley, who's part Ukrainian and moved here from the USSR as a child with his parents. We wanted to give space to their perspective because they are both opponents of NATO, but also have a deeper understanding of what the war means for Russian society and the disastrous invasion under Vladimir Putin. The full episode is packed full of important and unique perspectives, so if you want to hear the full thing, as well as lots of other patron-only content, join our subscriber community at patreon.com slash empirefiles. And we have some actual information, just don't be people that we know in Russia. Like that we know, like that, like it's pretty clear that they thought they were going to win in a couple of days. Oh yeah. That this is just a cakewalk, you know. Again, just like the Bush neocons, man. They they thought they were just going to walk in there, flip the country, you know, uh, and like walk right out, and everything would be fine. I mean, and he walked into this giant pit, you know, that like you could, everyone could see it. Like you don't go in there. You don't like walk into Ukraine and try to like with tanks and, and missiles and like soldiers, he did it, you know? I'm not, and, and it was just the dumbest mistake. I, I'm just, it's kind of like, what it's doing to me is sort of like retroactively making me kind of like, all the other things that I've been sort of like on the kind of the fence about and wasn't sure if it happened or not, if there were things like, you know, the Navalny poisoning or the poisoning of, uh, you know, in in in, uh, in in England of the of the former um, Russian spy. Um, like, like these butch, these 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 totally um sort of bungled operations right mm -hmm. that were like exposed you know very fat very quickly uh like i'm like thinking no actually the fact that putin w did did this op in ukraine and the thought that he could just do regime change like in a couple of days and it would just be, it would be just a cakewalk actually makes sense yeah he'd do all those stupid things he'd do all these ridiculous <laughs> like horrible things and so it's kind of actually like changing the my um sort of retroactively my kind of my view of the russian state and I think that's it's happening to a lot of people. I mean, Evgenia talked about that's happening to her as well. And uh, and so, I mean, like the fact that people are, you know, the fact that people are still playing this dumb game, it's like, well, the Russians could never do this. They, they, how would they do this? How would they, how would they kill civilians in, in, in a war? I mean, it just I mean, sounds, I, it yeah. just sounds so ridiculous. In LA right now, you guys left recently uh, for better or for worse. I mean, we miss you very much. We're sad that you left, but, uh, you know, we don't blame you at the same time. But I'm driving around LA right now, there are posters everywhere and i'm not talking like gorilla posters that are put up i'm talking about on like where you where you see like the new drake album coming out like like poster areas that are very wow. tightly controlled you have to pay a lot of money to put these posters up and if you try to put your own poster over it within like an hour it's been removed and the old posters put back up i mean there's a big industry of this uh so looks like it's guerrilla postering, but it's very tightly controlled, expensive ad space. And there's two posters. One says, never again is now with the Ukrainian flag. Wow. And then the other one says, close the sky over Ukraine. And so wow. someone is pouring a lot of money into having these posters yeah. up all over. But I just, uh, what um, I would want both of your reaction to number one, the comparison to the Holocaust. And number two, the demand of close the skies as this, this is the good just demand that people who are anti-war in the U.S. or who care about the Ukrainian people should have. Sorry, Mike, due to the first one, the comparison to the Holocaust, what's like horrific and ironic, that that's exactly what Russia is doing internally, the internal propaganda. That's exactly the replay of the Second World War. And um, Russia is again 
has to kick those like Nazis out of its land or whatever the neighboring land no they're saving right. neighbors so and um the uh i think that's probably not getting like english subtitles it's like for internal market but um i almost like i try not to do it every day but weekly i look at this new newly produced um uh, like videos uh that basically uh, you know they they produce to whip up the support for the war and always it's all about they, they show even Reichstag they show Berlin they show those Russians taking Berlin in 1945 and it's like the direct connection to what is now so base that's one of my biggest grievances you know about this war is it's just so you know <laughs> extremely cynical that as you say Mike that Putin didn't do much for eight years to help people of Donbass uh, and now it's just as if he's not just helping he's like this yeah some kind of like savior saving people from the Nazis there is no alternative in Russia like even in America there was at least a space for people who were opposed to Bush you know who of could course. like and there was a space for a, a movement to sort of organize against him and against the war there is there's like no oxygen in Russia for that at well, all. Well, that's right why now. it's so unfair for this gross mischaracterization and generalization of all right. Russian society to like be at fault. And then so what drives me to, I guess, our closing thoughts here, which is like, you know, in a post 9-11 world, we obviously had this hysterical war fervor and just uh, bloodlust against Arabs. It, it was a really dark time and a lot of people were hurt. And a lot of people were blamed. And it it really does remind me of that time where all of a sudden all of Russian society is culpable. Just absurd examples like Russian artifacts and museums being removed, like replaced with a little mm -hmm. card. Yeah, the special Paralympics, weird punishments because people just happen to be Russian. And, and as we mentioned before, the Russians kind of going out there and putting themselves as like the ultimate martyrs being like, yes. We are intrinsically like evil. This is our fault for not seeing this earlier. And it's just like, what? Like, the, it is so disturbing, kind of the bloodlust, the levels of retaliation and blame for Russians. And I, I don't know where this is going to go. It is greatly disturbing me, especially given the fact yeah. that Americans are so deeply ignorant of Russian society, Russian culture, Russian politics, like the fact that like, I don't know, half of this country still thinks that it's, it is the Soviet Union. Um, so where do we go from here? You know, and, and, and I guess like, what's your comment on the whole closing the sky thing? Because this is a very dangerous, slippery slope and you have the entire DC Beltway press basically clamoring for war like fucking pigs at the trough dude like I, I don't know if you guys have seen those videos like they are just like why won't you give no, Zelensky what he wants like why and it's just like why aren't you is... giving him the nuclear button <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give him the nuclear briefcase you know yeah like give it to him yeah yeah sorry can I yeah. respond about the Soviet the, the Russia still oh, yeah. Soviet Union because it's just it's so like infuriating um and then yeah she probably will talk about the whole NATO and the, the sky the sky thing uh okay that the Soviet Union um I, I know that probably some Americans and many of them don't know, don't follow like the Russian history and uh, might have thought for a while that it, nothing changed and still Soviet Union. But the new developments especially make it so insane because I see that uh, some even like interpret what Putin is doing as a restoration of Soviet Union of some sort. <laughs> And 
Putin is actually openly again in his speeches and, and what he's doing and what he's been like for the last like all the 22 years. He's distinctly his project is distinctly anti-Soviet. He's right. like just openly anti-Lenin, anti-Bolshevik. <laughs> he's very very much against all this stuff. And if anything, he's pro. I don't know. He calls it historic Russia, but it's basically like pre-revolutionary -re Russian Zarism. empire. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that and, uh, you know, he is basically as anti-communist as I would say in some way is it's majority like is anyone in Washington, D.C., you know, as far as the ideology, the kind of the socialism goes, you know, he's not that different. Uh, but what's different is he is the whatever, the ruler. <laughs> Hard to call him the president because he's pretty much illegitimate <laughs> for the last many years. A ruler of a different country and in different land. And uh, he and has uh, you know his oligarchs and he has his own interest yeah and no, i mean uh, just to just to add to that like you know what's what's funny you know because like you know i've been kind of writing about weaponized immigrants and the way that you know america and the west likes to weaponize sort of emigres and people who flee kind of enemy you know quote-unquote countries and kind of settle in the west or settle in america what's interesting about putin and this whole thing is that like okay so during the cold war or right after the Bolshevik revolution you know, like a lot of there was a lot of there were a lot of white Russian emigres, different kinds of white Russians, you know, basically anti-communist Russians, like, you know, fled to Europe and then made their way to America. And America, you know, uh, and the CIA and all this have worked with the white Russians to kind of undermine the Soviet Union. You know, they were a big component of the sort of like this, uh, you know, of the cadres of the weaponized emigre cadres that America tried to use in a sort of war. Against the so against communism, right? You know, kind of they they had a common enemy. But what's interesting now is that Putin is actually himself now trying to weaponize that ideology and weaponize the white Russian ideology, right. and like you know weaponize yeah. the, the 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 sort of the religion of the white Russian movement, you know, which is like you know Russian Orthodoxy, and like to weaponize that against the West. So it's like it's total. It's like we live in. It's actually a pretty interesting. It's surreal. It's yeah. a surreal, weird world where like the enemy sort of the ideology that America saw as a sort of a kin ideology, like anti-communist ideology, the ideology of sort of these, these sort of, um, you know, like, um, I don't know how to... Tsarist Russians. Yeah, Tsarist Russians are people who wanted to like restore, you know, not just the monarchy, but to restore some constitutional monarchy maybe in Russia, you know? Um, like, essentially, you know, Putin is now like using that, I guess, so using that against America, whereas America used to use that against the Soviet Union. So we live in this very... It's like it's actually a pretty interesting time. I mean, just historically and ideologically, and sort of like, uh, it's it's an interesting, very confused time. So I can understand why people in America, you know, think that um, Russia is like the Soviet Union still, but it's not. It's definitely not that. I mean, if anything, it's sort of we've gone back to early 20th century in Russia to the sort of this constitutional monarchy or something. You know, where where. Putin is, you know, if you like, he's obviously not a monarch. He's not hereditary. That he doesn't make a claim to it. Um, but it, it it functions in a similar kind of I would way. I say it's barely constitutional. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutism. Yeah. I mean, so it's like the, the, the that the parliament has almost no power. You know, it's there, sort of there, to kind of like rubber stamp with the sort of the you know the 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 sovereign kind of decides. And so that's well, that's the real. I mean, that's yeah. the great irony yeah. is that now it's the 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 presentation from the U.S. government. And, and the corporate press is that uh, Putin and his government, I mean, these are the most evil people. They're, they're enemy number one, are, along with China. Um, but the, the irony is it's, it's not only is it not the Soviet Union, it's the people that the U.S. liked and worked with and actually put into power and made sure would be in power uh, through Yeltsin. And then, I mean, created the entire situation, as you mentioned, 
Putin was the successor of Yeltsin. Yeltsin was installed in a rigged election that the United States helped with in a, in a, in a context of a country that was basically run by the United States after the, the fall of the Soviet Union and, and created the context for someone like Putin to, to be popular as he is now and for people to want to restore a Russia to greatness because of the past couple decades, uh, it has not been very great at all. It humiliated, actually, on the world stage because, precisely because of a lot of the impacts of the U.S. policies and the neoliberal shock treatment on the country uh, and things like that. And so, I mean, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just so wild that like, look, I mean, look, go- it, what, yeah, yeah. What Putin like, like is, is a Putin is, is it's actually it's like it's not like it's not a, it's not something that Americans want to hear. But Putin is a monster of America's own creation, you know, and and so I mean, and in fact, it's kind of funny. So Mark Ames, you know, my friend and colleague of many years, you know, we not him and I were like planning to write this book, the kind of the late Trump uh presidency um that kind of like the thesis of the book is that like yeah you like you hate like putin and putin is like the enemy of the free world now but actually putin was like what is only like able to sort of take power and like exercise the kind of dictatorial power that he has now through like america's own intervention in in the russian political system in the 1990s during the yeltsin years and so i mean you know so like and so in a way, like the monster has kind of turned against its its creator, you know, which seems um, to happen he, uh, seems all to the time happen a lot a, to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a it's an it's a it's a yeah, exactly it's a narrative that repeats itself over and over and over and over again in American history. And it only makes American empire stronger, you know, because, again, you create the monsters that then you have to like then today that then you have to, you know, fight tomorrow. Right. Um, and so. You know, so yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, it's sort of like in 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 a in a parallel world, you know, America and Putin would be like the closest allies because Putin hates socialism, hates communism, wants to expand sort of a neoliberal kind of capitalism, you know, uh, through the land, <laughs> and uh, and in general wants to be seen or wanted to be seen as part of the West in, early on in his tenure, and so in a, in a parallel world where things could, ha, would have gone differently, maybe you know, like. Russia could have been America's, you know, biggest ally. Like, I just want to add, I, I sort of mentioned it, but I just want to add again, like in the some kind of parallel world again, uh, parallel world. Uh, yeah, Russia could have been the Mer- American ally because ally because there's no really um, like ideological difference, really. But the problem is that truly like um, since Soviet Union collapsed and the criminal privatization that pretty much finished up by like 95 uh, by mid nineties, uh, fully, um, <clears throat> where like all the state, um, industries were sold like for pennies <laughs> to a few, uh, you know, to like, what, hundred, like 10 people or something like that. And then everything else is also was very unevenly distributed. And, uh, what I'm saying is that this kind of like, um, cry for the failed civil society that is going on, at least what I'm seeing among like Russian liberals, some people who like already, um, kind of ran away from Russia or those who are in Russia and kind of like very uh, much outraged by what's going on. But this kind of crying for the failed, again, uh, civil societies, it, to me, is a bit weird and kind of either hypocritical or just like very myopic because it means that I, I, the way I see it, civil society failed like a long time ago. In like in Russia, I'm talking about in, like the failed ra- civil society in Russia. The, the, the failed attempt to create it because it wasn't created. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so the problem is that in the last 25 years, it was sort of like apparent <laughs> that it wasn't there. And kind of noticing that only now when, the, when this kind of war started yeah. and the new level of kind of the oppression, the, the repressions increased. That that just 
that is bizarre because I think basically the kind of the starting point of this all is is not just the Putin's rule, but what happened before Putin and Putin only, you know, kind of took probably advantage of the situation, but he didn't even start this, you know. One one thing uh, we've talked a lot about Putin, which is is good and and I think informative for a lot of people to get your guys' perspective. There was something you said on a podcast recently that I was wondering if you could explain because I thought it was funny. But you said something like uh, Putin's click is like very much like liberals in the U.S. Um, and, but I I also wanted to since we're talking a lot about Putin, uh, I'd like your comments or both of you like what you think about Zelensky because he's been kind of of course made into like you know, this hot action hero, you know, really wonderful, like, figure in the U.S. He even, like, I mean, it was funny, like, the Oscars had him, like, have a video message from him at the Oscars where he's, I don't know if he was asking for a no-fly zone in it, but he was definitely, like... The, the Grammys, probably, right? The Grammys. No, the Oscars. He was at the Oscars, too. I missed that. Okay, no, yeah, maybe he got Penn drowned out him. by the slap. No, yeah, Sean, yeah. No, no, he didn't, he didn't do the video at the Oscars, even though Sean Penn was, like, oh, demanding that he did. We're the little people. We don't know the difference. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, any, yeah, I, I guess I'm happy I didn't know the correct award ceremony <laughs> that he was speaking at. Um, but anyways, could you uh, basically say with their, your comparison of Putin's people to U.S. liberals? But then also, like, what, what's the thoughts about Zelensky are? Before yeah, it's I a hard question. I mean, I'd say, I'd say Putin's click is more like, not like li- American liberals. I'd say they're more like American Republicans. I'd say they're like, fuck, they're probably closer to like Fox News Republicans, you know, and there is not a huge difference between Fox News Republicans and MSNBC Democrats. You know, I mean, it's a pretty minor difference. You know, there's some cultural like whatever positions, you know, that they take publicly, but even privately, they probably don't even believe them anyway. But but I'd say that like, you know, and I was seen, I think, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened actually in America, you can actually see it's like the Fox, the coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement on Fox News in America was exactly the same as the coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement was on like Russian state television, exactly the same. And not only that, it was exactly the same as the coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement by the Russian liberals who are in opposition to the to the Kremlin. So like Russian society, I'd say, is like a lot, a lot closer to just Fox, like basic Fox News demographic kind of uh, political position, you know, like, and and I'd say that like it's, it, 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 it's and that, that viewpoint is shared by both <laughs> and the opposition to the Kremlin. It's fucking weird, but that's just the reality of it. And so that's uh, so I, that's that's kind of what if like if if Americans need a place where you know where like kind of the Russian society elite kind of place themselves in the Russian spectrum in, in the American spectrum, it'd be like Fox News, I'd say. Yeah. But then you know about Zelensky, I, I mean I, I don't know what to say. You know, I mean I'd say I'm I don't know. I'm kind of. You know, like he's just a—he's an interesting character. He's almost like a Trumpian kind of character. It's slightly different context, but you know, he's a—he's a comedian, right? He's a funny guy who actually made a, a pretty funny, um, you know, uh, comedy series about like a regular guy, a regular like Ukrainian school teacher, school history teacher, is basically becoming the president of Ukraine. There's a show like that, right? I mean, there's a show in Ukraine like that. You know, Zelensky as an actor. Yeah, I think Netflix has it now, and I recommend you know your listeners watch it because especially like the first the first like two three four episodes are actually really good and really funny because and they kind of like get at like kind of the reason why Zelensky be, the actual person became president because in Ukraine you know there's like this basically a revolution you know quote unquote revolution happening every every few years because like Ukrainians are so fed up like it's such a corrupt political system that's owned by this sort of shifting oligarchic clan 
and they always promise like the the most amazing things are going to happen, you know, if they're elected, and nothing ha- nothing ever changes, and it gets more and more and more corrupt, and so like and so like people kind of like go back and forth, you know, and like basically have these like kind of it's it's so it's a very it's a very it's a it's a very corrupt, very cynical society, the electorate, and so that's why it's like a, a random school teacher in like this fictional world that Zelensky represented in this, you know, in this like sitcom, like could be elected as president of Ukraine. And also why a comedian that played a fictional president uh, could also be elected as the president of Ukraine, you know? And th- I'd say, I mean, there's a lot to be said. And I, just to be, to be short, I'll say this about Zelensky. I mean, what happened with probably the tragedy of Zelensky is that like he was, he won the presidency with the largest margin of victory, like in Ukrainian history. I'm not okay now. I'm, I'm, I drank like maybe a little too much beer, so I can't, I'm like the the exact number uh, exact exact number evades me. But I think it's 75 percent of the populace. I'm getting my fact checker in here. Well, and he was also elected on a on basically a referendum of like peace, right? I yes, mean, he, exactly. I he spoke that, Russian yeah. to during his election campaign. Yeah, he, so he won know? this huge. He won by won by the biggest mar- margin in Ukrainian electoral history. And the platform that he ran on was, we're going to bring people together. We're going to pursue peace. 73%. So I was sorry, almost 75%. Can you imagine winning someone winning no, by 75? No, it's crazy. So he had a clear mandate. And he probably would have, and he probably would have won. That number would have been even higher if like the, the, the sort of the, the, the parts, the sort of the breakaway regions, the separatist regions were able to vote in the election. Because there were even more sort of, you know, like would have been like for that position. So he had like just a huge mandate, um, you know, to to pursue peace, to pursue negotiations, to create a settlement, and that's the kind of the tragedy of Zelensky, right? Is that like in the end he like every other president, you know, everyone in politics in that country gets sort of mired in like the complex, um, like I don't, know, I don't know, like to use a Trumpian term, swamp, you know, that is the politics <laughs> of Ukraine, and and uh, you know, like and and. It, the 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 kind of the sort of far right nationalist positions in Ukraine are very are very strong you know are very powerful they you know even though they don't really have you know electoral energy they have a lot of cultural and support from like sort of the civil society in Ukraine that like they did not like they they you know to them he was essentially a Russian traitor you know like a traitor who's working with the Russians and so he got thwarted in all these different ways and in the end kind of had to like revert to you know, a pretty, you know, pretty authoritarian um, practices in order to stay in power. He banned a bunch of, you know, pro-Russian um, media outlets. You know, he kind of went on this sort of like, he kind of turned almost like, you know, more pro-war and, and more authoritarian, essentially, as time went on in order to stay in power and kind of to 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 exist in this, in this very brutal, very cynical, very, very bloody system, you know, because people get assassinated there all the time. 